This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. The way that I think about it is, you know, like relay racing, you know, you race and someone passes the baton and then, right? So that's what life is. It's basically a relay race. And so the people who are heroes, whichever gender they are, they ran their part of the race and then they passed us a baton. And the question is, what will we do with the time we carry the baton? This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. We're back. Back from Thanksgiving break. Several pounds heavier, but happy to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Save 10 bucks if you use the promo code Stu. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a like right now. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Click follow as well. Chris Chappell is going to join us today with the news from China that they don't want you to hear. Joe Biden throws a Hail Mary to try to avoid a rail strike. I'm sure that'll work out. But we start by doing the media's amazing discovery of anti-Semitism. They found it. Wow. I mean, we've been talking about this for a very long time. Seems like a real issue on the Democratic side of the aisle, but... Wow, they've discovered it because of one Kanye West. What an amazing, you know what, congratulations to Kanye. I don't get your music at all, but you made America discover anti-Semitism in the media. And I really, I really do appreciate that. Let me give you a quick uh, couple of updates and just we'll go through some of the story happened uh, uh, over the past few days. And there's some new video out as well of this situation in, uh, in its development. Uh, Mike Pence has called on Donald Trump to apologize for the dinner he had with anti-Semite. Not really clear as to which anti-Semite the news article is uh, uh, referring to in this one, but it was Kanye West and Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos. I don't even know, which I don't know who even knows at this point. Mitt Romney is calling Donald Trump's meeting with white supremacist Nick Fuentes and Kanye West disgusting. Now, I know your immediate reaction when you see Mitt Romney saying something is to think the opposite is true. But in this case, uh, not really. It pretty it wasn't good. It wasn't a great idea. Kanye West has added Nick Fuentes to the 2024 campaign team, which I take his campaign incredibly seriously. He's going to do very, very important. Uh, so if you miss this whole story, basically, Kanye West says to Donald Trump, hey, want to come down to Mar-a-Lago, have some dinner. Donald Trump says, hey, you're a famous, you're a supporter. Come on down. Let's chat. He brings along Milo, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos and uh, Nick Fuentes. Apparently, you know, Trump, of course, has no idea who Nick Fuentes is. You probably don't either. And he has the dinner. Now, of course, uh, Donald Trump, this is going to shock a lot of people, 
tends to like people who like him. So he, he was flattered in the uh, in you know, in, in, uh, in the at the dinner by uh, this Nick Fuentes guy. Uh, so he said apparently nice things about him at the dinner. No one really knows what was said, uh, but this all came out afterward. And Nick Fuentes has a very poor reputation when it comes to you know denying the Holocaust and such. So became a bit of a kerfuffle, as you might uh, understand. Now all this goes on. Uh, the, the situation is uh, over. Donald Trump says, I didn't know who this guy was. And uh, now all the r- people on the right are saying you need to apologize. The media is going crazy, saying Donald Trump's Satan. He's an anti-Semite, blah, 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 blah. All that goes on. And then Tim Pool, the podcaster, decides to ask Donald, uh, uh, Kanye West and uh, Yiannopoulos and Fuentes to all come on the podcast so they can discuss, I mean, I don't know what you would discuss at this point with Kanye West other than this particular story. You're not going to talk about his fashion lines because those are all wiped out. He was a billionaire. Now he's not a billionaire. So I don't know if you're going to ask him about how is how is your your relationship with Kim Kardashian these days? I don't know what Tim Pool is supposed to ask him about, but somehow the uh, the situation, shockingly, as it seems to do these days with Kanye West, the subject of Jews comes up. And here's what happened. I don't use the word as the, as the way I guess you, you guys use. I'm, I'm talking about it. It is them, though, isn't it? I mean, because, <laughs> no. and, and because when you think <laughs> about not. it, consider it. In 2018. What do you mean it's not? It, what, what do I mean? Like, uh, uh, okay, so how about, are you leaving? Are you afraid of the press? He's gone. I'll say it right now. Um, you, guys, I, I, you guys want to bring that stuff up? And then have think the we're discussion. not going to not going to have like, a conversation. Like have the discussion. Like you, you think yeah, he's going to come in here and say, "Here's my pain, here's my suffering." I'm going to say, "I hear you," and then he's going to say, "And it was Jewish people," and I'm going to be like, "Okay, but don't you consider?" So I'm not going to do this. I, I, I refuse. Go, uh, make sure he's cool. All right, go for it. First of all, I, to be clear, I'm not calling him Yay ever, ever. His name is Kanye West. It's going to be Kanye West until the moment I decide it's not. That's how this works. Now, Kanye West is in there. What led up to that clip was uh, Kanye West, Tim Pool actually kind of, you know, he's saying like, look, I understand. I think you've been treated poorly uh, by by them, I think he said. And he and Kanye West said, well, them, we can't say who them are, can we? That's when that clip kind of picks up and they say, well, we can we can say I think that was maybe Fuentes uh, over there saying, yes, we can. And of course, he's referring to essentially Jews. They didn't get that deep into it, but that was clear what the context was. Uh, And Tim Pool's like, no, I mean, I think the corporate media kind of screwed you guys, but I don't think it's some group of people. I mean, I don't think it's Jews. So that was kind of the whole conversation. And this dinner now has started to divide, uh, I guess, people on the on the right trying to figure out what exactly is going on. This this story came out from The New York Times. Jewish allies called Trump's dinner with anti-Semites a breaking point. Supporters who looked past the former president's admirers and bigoted corners of the far right and his own use of anti-Semitic tropes are now drawing the line. Um, You know, this is typical New York Times coverage. Now, of course, do they really care about anti-Semitism? Do they? I mean, I, we will get into this here in a second, but there's been a lot of chances for them to stand up against anti-Semitism. Rarely do they take those chances unless it happens to be vilifying somebody on the right. And, 
You know, it's important to note that this coverage is absolutely ridiculous. They seem to be magically discovering anti-Semitism now because it benefits them. When we've been talking about it for a long, long time, um, you know, and, and you know, they, they never seem to be all that concerned when, like, Barack Obama came, you know, had pictures with Louis Farrakhan come out. They didn't seem to care about that at all. That wasn't a big deal. Uh, but when it's Donald Trump, they have a chance to do something to Donald Trump. Of course, it's going to be the main story. Now, in this story, they talk, uh, they quote, Ben Shapiro, <laughs> I got to give you this quote because it's so completely ridiculous to the way they frame this. Mr. Shapiro, who came under near constant attack in 2016 from neo-Nazi Trump supporters, but by stood but stood by Trump at the time. Nonetheless, let me stop. there. Stop there. I mean, Ben Shapiro, I don't think he would say he was very critical of Trump, which is why he was being criticized. He later on kind of came along and said, OK, well, I think, uh, you know, he's he's done a good job in this this area. But like I, he was not a, I don't think I would consider him a Trump, a big time Trump supporter in the run up to the 2016 elections. I, I don't think that's what he would consider himself. Um, anyway, uh, they make him seem like he was just some Trump loyalist and didn't care about anti-Semitism at the time. But he did tweet this about the the Kanye West dinner. Uh, a good way to not accidentally dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite you don't know. Is, to, is not to dine with a violent racist and anti-Semite you do know. Which is a good safety tip, I will say. Uh, look, the Kanye West thing, I know he's famous. I know he's a supporter. Uh, do you really want to take a dinner with Kanye West right now? I mean, there's no period in my life where I would be like, yeah, let me have dinner with Kanye West. That's not occurred. But I know he's, he's a big supporter of the president at, at one point. Um, there was some other stuff that went on there that... <laughs> Might indicate he was not a big supporter, but whatever you want to believe on this, uh, not a good idea. Not a good idea to to take a dinner with him at this point. Now, they had another uh, conservative expert, and it's interesting the people they call on for experts on Donald Trump and his anti-Semitism. You know, they're people that are constantly vilified by the same publication. Uh, ben Shapiro, uh, who they just blistered in their criticism of Ben Shapiro many, many times over the years. Now he's held up as uh, this figure of, 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 of credibility on this particular issue because he's defensive of, of uh, at this time, because he's accusing Donald Trump of, of making poor decisions. Uh, another one here is Morton Klein. Now he is the head of the right-wing Zionist Organization of America, according to the New York Times. Um, he says, I'm a child of survivors. I've become very frightened for my people, Morton Klein said, uh, referring to his parents' survival of the Holocaust. Donald, Trump's is, uh, Donald, Donald Trump is not an anti-Semite. He loves Israel. He loves Jews. But he mainstreams, he legitimizes Jew hatred and Jew haters. And this scares me. Look, this is an interesting uh, perspective from someone uh, like Morton Klein, who's, you know, who, who knows this stuff uh, better than anyone and has, to, has had to deal with tons and tons of anti-Semitism, largely from the left over the past, I don't know, half century or so. And it's interesting to see the New York Times uh, cite him as an expert on anti-Semitism. Remember, they've also criticized Glenn Beck many, many times of being an anti-Semite. And it's fascinating because... Morton Klein, the same guy they're quoting as an expert on anti-Semitism now, gave Glenn Beck the Defender of Israel Award. The Zionist Organization of America recognized Glenn Beck as the Defender of Israel. This is back in 2011. Here's the photo of them together uh, hanging out. They're a great organization, and Glenn has uh, had a great relationship with them for a long time. I believe 
at that particular event, he was presented the actual award from Benjamin Netanyahu. Yet they consider the New York Times will call Glenn an anti-Semite and accuse him of all sorts of terrible things. Yet when it's to their their benefit because they want to bash Trump, they will quote Morton Klein as an expert on anti-Semitism. Hard to follow, but very, very true. A few things I want to talk about here on this particular story. Number one, Kanye West. Back in, what was it, 2005, he comes out. He's a you know, popular rapper at the time. He's standing next to the absolutely terrified, terrified Mike Myers of Austin Powers and Saturday Night Live fame. And uh, he says, George Bush doesn't care about black people. And it was the it's the crazy. It's still one of my favorite pieces of video of all time, just because of of Mike Myers face. He is so lost as to what the hell he's supposed to do in this moment, as they're supposed to be presenting a charity case to donate to Katrina victims. Anyway, long story short with that. At the time, Kanye West was insane. My position was that Kanye West is insane. And then he made a bunch of music and people called him a genius, mainly on the left. They said, oh, this guy's a genius. He's a genius. In my position on Kanye West at the time, that Kanye West was insane. Fast forward a little ways. Kanye West starts wearing a red hat and starts calling himself a Trump supporter. And you know what my position on Kanye West was? Kanye West is insane. And then he was marrying Kardashians and doing things of that nature. And you know what my position on Kanye West was? Kanye West is insane. And now, then Kanye West started, by the way, I don't know if anyone remembers this, ran for president against Donald Trump, potentially making a close state a real problem if it came down to that, got the entire vote of the cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And, well, the characters, at least, on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Anyway, the point is, at that point, my belief was, Kanye West is insane. And when Kanye West came out and started saying, hey, let me tell you about Jews, my position consistent through almost 20 years is that Kanye West is insane. And if I want to say it more nicely and perhaps more accurately, Kanye West is struggling through a deep mental health crisis that has lasted in front of our eyes for almost 20 years. That's who this guy is. He's in mid-crisis every single time you see him. All the crazy things he's said, all the crazy things he's done, that is who this person is. He is deeply in the throes of mental health struggles. And it's really sad to watch, honestly. I honestly think the defining uh, point of this saga with Kanye and anti-Semitism is not that Kanye West is an anti-Semite. That may, I mean, certainly seems to also be true. But the fact that he is unable to come to logical conclusions about Jews also is probably a lar- to a large extent a function of he can't come up with logical conclusions about anything. The man's completely insane. Why are we going to him for his opinions about any of this crap? It's a real problem. And the fact is that people are using Kanye West to to get closer to fame, to get closer to power, to jump on this bandwagon, to uh, latch themselves on to somebody who obviously can make headlines and get lots of views to your YouTube channel, but is not, you know, like this is just taking advantage of a guy who's struggling with massive mental health challenges. It's just true. It's just who he is. And he's obviously not being treated and things are, I mean, the guy turned himself from a billionaire into uh, basically, a, you know, 
about as wealthy as, as, as you know, the any average guy in the street. Why? Because he's having real problems, real problems. And I understand, you know, that you know, people might like him because of some of the stances he's taken. Many of them have been terrible, by the way. But some of the stances he's taken that people like on the right, some of the stances that people like on the left. But the bottom line is the man's insane. Now, this does seem to be an issue because we're seeing people uh, like, uh, you know, Nick Fuentes and others attach themselves to uh, to Kanye West because they, you know, they see a gravy train a lot bigger than, you know, a couple hundred people that are watching their YouTube channel. They see a gravy train there. They see a lot of attention there, attention to their, uh, in many ways, terrible, terrible views. Um, and I think that's a problem that that gets uh, promoted. It's something that it would be great if the media didn't talk about all the time. Um, but, you know, even the mainstream media, to be fair, has pointed out that they don't, that Donald Trump had no idea who Nick Fuentes is. I would say most of the people on the right don't know who Nick Fuentes is. Most people generally don't know who he is. He's, you know, some fringe character that, uh, you know, has, has said all sorts of terrible things. And, you know, the fact that he was in a room for Donald Trump, to be fair, I mean, like, if the equivalent thing happened with Barack Obama, which, by the way, it has we would certainly notice it and certainly call it out. So I do understand why it's an issue. But do I really think Donald Trump has any idea who this person is? No, I don't think so. This is an issue, though, however, when you're talking about a potential Donald Trump second run at a presidency. The fact is that Donald Trump is often won over by flattery and by people who want to be close to him, who, who give him all sorts of love and adoration. And, and he does not have the people around him anymore to make sensible decisions about who these people are. The second this guy walked in the room, if he had competent people around him, they would have made him leave that room immediately um, because they would have known what was going to happen here. This is not a guy who, has, who likes low taxes and, you know, and has a bad reputation in the media. This is somebody that any presidential campaign, any competent organization would know immediately was, was wrong. Not to mention... Kanye West has very publicly been doing this over the past couple of months. This might not be the right time for a Kanye West dinner party. Of course, we also know that Don Kanye West was asking Donald Trump to run as his vice president, and apparently the meeting didn't even go well. But then that's, uh, I guess, a secondary story. But when we have this conversation about Trump versus DeSantis over the next probably couple of years and uh, you know, a myriad of other candidates, it is important to know that there is a 0% chance that Ron DeSantis winds up at a dinner with, with Nick Fuentes. That will not happen. It will not happen. It's not going to occur because he has a team around him of people that are looking out for him. I think a lot of times you get around, the people around Donald Trump tend to be looking out for themselves a little bit more than the candidate. And, you know, look, I don't expect Donald Trump to know every fringe internet personality, but these are, these are, these are easy mistakes. On the media side, can we have some consistency here? Just a bit. Uh, all of a sudden, they're going to they're going to they're going to discover anti-Semitism and tell us it's a big issue after all the times we've been talking about it. We've been saying it's a big problem. They've been saying it's nothing. That's now they're going to notice it. Do we remember the Kyrie Irving situation? Remember his tweet about a fantastic, I'm sure, a wonderful documentary, quote unquote, um, that just seems to uh, to uh, I don't know, quote the black Israelite ideology. Um, fascinating part about that, of course, is the black Israelite ideology was on display during the Nicholas Sandman story. And the media sided not with Sandman in that debate. They went the other way. 
But let's let's forget about that. How about Nick Cannon? Nick Cannon has said basically the same stuff that Kanye West said. He's got two network shows currently. Why no red hat? That's why. Here's part of his rant. When we go as deep as the Rothschild, centralized banking, those the the the, the 13 families, uh, the bloodlines that control everything, even outside of America. They want to silence mm-hmm. Minister Farrakhan and they want to throw that. We are having hate speech when it's never hate speech, when it's not. Right. You can't be anti-Semitic when the Semitic, when, when we, we are the Semitic people, when we are the same people that you, who they want to be. Mm-hmm. That's our birthright. That's our birthright. I mean, I think he watched the same documentary as, as Kyrie. Look. This is a little too widespread among African-American celebrities, and it's something that, uh, that it's not my thing to, to, to correct, but it does seem like maybe uh, somebody of prominence, I don't know who it is, needs to step up and call this activity out because it's happening uh, often. And it's not just uh, in, in politics. By the way, he mentioned Farrakhan. Remember Farrakhan with Obama pictures together? Okay. Um, anyway, how about Ilana Mar? Ilana Mar, let's look at back at some of her tweets. Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. She did this. She's made comments over and over again. She's had mild pushback from the media, mild pushback from people like Nancy Pelosi on this stuff. But it's mild. It's embraced much more on the left than it ever is on the right. We see it over and over again. It only becomes an issue when the right does it. And that's the problem I have here. But we need to make sure that we look at this and say, OK, look, this is this is a, an unforced error um, by you know, the, the campaign around Trump. And he deserves, as a former president, better than that. He deserves much better than that from the uh, from the people around him. But. As we get to the core of this here, this sort of ideology should be called out. It should be. It's important that it is. They're going to try to make it in the media into this political issue because they have absolutely uh, no scruples. But just like what we see in China, where they don't seem to care all that much about the Uyghurs in China, they only care about uh, whatever issue is going to benefit them and bash Republicans. Well, Republicans are also against that, so it's not going to be covered all that closely. They want to have, you know, they seem to have a lot of uh, ideological uh, similarities with many people in in, Chi- in the Chinese government. So well, maybe let's not let's call people racist for questioning the origins of COVID, but let the Uyghur thing kind of go. Let's be critical of the NBA executive who roots for Hong Kong. And uh, and and when some when LeBron comes out and says, "Oh, come on, we can't be we can't be uh, we can't be um, uh, tweeting about Hong Kong. That's bad." Let's not criticize LeBron at all. He'll get none of this. This inconsistency is what's infuriating about all of this. And, and I don't have any uh, hope that it's going to end soon, but I would love to see it end soon. And I'd love to see it end soon on the China issue as well. The China protest is a big story. It's going on now. These are the biggest protests we've probably seen since Tiananmen Square. We're going to talk about that with an expert on China here in just a second. I have a, a dog. Well, I have three dogs, but President Miles is um, is who he has a lot of joint problems. All right, the dog is is 17 years old, and he he doesn't get along very well. We're thinking about making him a little ramp off of the door because it's only five inches, but man, it looks like a hundred feet to poor Miles. So when we talk about 
joints and hurting us, especially as a dog gets older, you want to be able to do something for your dog. We just got this. We're just about to start, start it with Miles. It's Longevity Formula from Paw Made, P-A-W-M-A-D-E. It's an all-natural health supplement for dogs made with 23 dog-friendly superfoods to keep your pup healthy and strong. I wouldn't describe Miles as a pup per se, but he is a dog and we love him to death. Uh, veteran approved longevity formula boosts nutrient intake, protects against toxins, guards against premature aging. Not really premature in Miles' case, but it is aging. Uh, and that's important because aside from poor diet, toxins like pesticides, mold, air pollution can harm your dog's health. But longevity formula contains special toxin fighting nutrients to protect your dog so they can live a long happy life by your side. Right now, there is a limited time offer exclusively for listeners of this program. For every purchase of Longevity Formula, you'll receive a free bottle of Palmade's uh, hip and joint formula as well. To claim your offer, go to pawmade.com slash stew or call toll-free 833-PAWMADE. That's 833-P-A-W-M-A-D-E, pawmade.com slash stew or call them 833-PAWMADE. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I want to bring in Chris Chappell to the program. He's the host of China Uncensored, a YouTube channel you got to subscribe to if you care at all about China. And by the way, you should if you're in America, because it's kind of a big deal. Uh, Chris, how's it going? Pretty good. Great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I, I want to get into what's going on with the protests, everything that's going on in China right now as it goes to the zero COVID policy. But can we start by going back, going back to early 2020, I guess in China's case, maybe late 2019, as the pandemic is starting, what is this period like for the average Chinese citizen? What, how does it differ from what we went through here in America? Well, I think it's important to look at how the Chinese Communist Party first responded to uh, the COVID outbreak. And they, they did that by covering it up, hoarding medical supplies, uh, essentially nationalizing uh, foreign companies like 3M to not be able to export masks around the world. Uh, mm. And the lockdowns in China are sort of like the nightmare version of what everyone was uh, afraid could happen in the West. I mean, you saw just this incredible totalitarian overreach, of, you know, people being locked into their apartments. And the sad thing was that China kind of convinced the world that lockdowns were the answer, even though... Prior to the pandemic, you know, the CDC, the WHO, they said lockdowns were not an effective measure to deal with uh, pandemics. But, you know, China lied about the death toll, essentially said that no one was dying at all in China. And this was kind of a story that was pushed in Western media, that they just kind of accepted uh, blatantly false Chinese figures. It does seem, too, that uh, there's some there's has not been a reckoning on this point at all by American media where uh, for years we had 
uh, a society that was praising these tactics, if you lived up to what essentially the model of Chinese uh, COVID handling was, where you locked down the most, you had the most restrictions, you had the most people at home, you had the most people in masks, the most people out of school, all these different things. If you lived up to that standard as an American governor in a blue state, you were praised. And, you know, as we see the zero COVID policy go on for years and years in China, you've seen some change in the coverage on the mainstream media of, of what China's approach was. But there's no looking back and questioning whether their praise of that model for multiple years in the, in the U.S. was appropriate. Yes, there's a, a lot of accountability that needs to happen. Though I do think it is interesting that with the recent protests, and I know we'll get to that a bit more, uh, I think that... It was the World Cup that really played a big part in this, that people in China saw that, you know, what their government was telling them, the lies about how, you know, so many people are dying in the West. They don't have it under control. Only the Chinese Communist Party has it in control. And now they see the World Cup and they see all these people celebrating with all of these restrictions lifted that they're dealing with every day. I think that really made a lot of people think, you know, maybe something else is going on. Mm, that's really interesting. I, how much of this story is just about the Chinese Communist Party lying? Not only just how they lied to their own citizens, but how the lies led to the spread of this virus initially and how uh, the lies of how they handled it wound up affecting global policy generally. Uh, I mean, communism itself as an ideology is just kind of founded on lies. So it's that's a, that's a big story, really. It just permeates everything the Chinese Communist Party does. And the weird thing is that so many uh, experts and politicians, people around the world still take the Chinese Communist Party at its word. Like, I don't understand how you can be talking about working with China on climate change when we know they lie. They're not, they don't honor agreements. Take a look at Hong Kong. They didn't honor their agreements there. Not even close. No, that was uh, quite the opposite of honoring an agreement. Um, all right, let, let's go a little bit further because now we have a situation, let's go to like 2021, where in 2021, you have a situation where, you know, the combination of, you know, vaccine rollout in the West and, you know, natural immunity and maybe Omicron being uh, not quite as deadly and all these things kind of come together. Uh, maybe it's also a bunch of people in the West saying, OK, the, enough is enough. We're not going to deal with this anymore. And sort of life begins to turn back to normal at some level as we go into 2021. Even in blue states, uh, really, it starts to open up. We see, you know, European countries open up. Life changes and starts to approach pre-pandemic days all over the world. This does not happen in China. They make a decision that no matter what, they're going to try to keep this zero COVID policy going. Is there a pushback initially? Is there any sign from the Chinese people that they're frustrated with this? Or are they just clamped down on so often that they don't even express it? The Chinese Communist Party never has admitted ever making a mistake, so they're not going to back down on zero COVID. They have sold the line that the, the zero COVID policy is what has protected China, so they're not going to back down. And But you do see over time really the, the cracks showing in Chinese society. For one, huge economic issues in China right now, especially for young people. There's 
about a 19% unemployment rate for young people in China. They, they, it's devastating. Uh, and the lockdowns have continued. They've been really brutal. Like uh, there was a massive outcry over, there was a case of a, of a woman who was, who was very pregnant, went to a hospital uh, because she was having a problem. And because her COVID health code has expired, they basically would not admit her. And she had a miscarriage right outside, right outside of the hospital. Mm. That was a story that went viral and it really upset a lot of people. You had stories of people starving in lockdowns. And the interesting thing about what zero COVID has done is the Chinese Communist Party throughout its entire history has, has persecuted and killed people, but it always targeted specific groups and convinced the rest of Chinese society that there was a good reason why this group needed to be persecuted. But with zero COVID, it's affecting everyone. You can't treat a virus like a Chinese dissident and just lock it away. So this is something that has affected everyone in China across all spectrums of society, middle and upper class Chinese citizens in Shanghai and Beijing, they're all being affected by this in a way that other campaigns of persecutions the party has launched has not touched. As we, you know, as outsiders here, I know you follow this stuff a lot more closely than the average American. You know, as outsiders, we might see a Twitter video that comes across our feed that is, you know, looks really draconian and locked down and it seems so out of place in 2022. Um, but what is actually going on as we lead up to these protests? Because is it a situation where we're getting rolling lockdowns in cities when there's an outbreak? Is everyone kind of still living in a constant lockdown? What's life like generally in China as we lead up to these protests? Well, it's interesting how you have seen the Chinese Communist Party sort of change the narrative. Uh, it's, it's transparent that zero COVID isn't working. So now they've started to refer to it as zero COVID on a societal level or targeted lockdowns. Mm. So in other words, they're not saying they're locking down entire cities anymore. They just might lock down individual apartment blocks. And if they happen to lock down all of the apartment blocks in a city, well, that's not locking down a city. That's just locking down individual apartment blocks. Mm. <laughs> well, this is it's really incredible. So no wonder the Chinese people are incredibly frustrated uh, by this. Uh, we are now seeing protests at a scale that, I mean, is not familiar at all to uh, foreign on onlookers. We're not used to seeing the Chinese uh, Communist Party protested publicly like we're seeing now. Can you give us a sense of the scale of these protests as they push back against the zero COVID policy? I mean, protests have been building for a long time. Um, but yeah, the what's what happened this weekend, it's pretty unprecedented. I mean, you know, everyone remembers the Tiananmen Square protests in 1989 that led to the Tiananmen Square massacre. And even those protesters were not calling for an end to the Chinese Communist Party. They wanted really a modest level of social and political reform. But in these protests, you've actually seen people specifically saying, Xi Jinping needs to step down. The Chinese Communist Party needs to step down. And that is a huge shift. And I think the Chinese Communist Party is probably pretty nervous right now. Hmm. Is it possible in a society like this for people to rise up in protest and actually change anything? I mean, is this just a situation where they're putting their lives at risk 
uh, for the government to crack down on them and, and make them disappear for no real hope because eventually the government's going to uh, use force to shut them down. Well, revolution is a complicated thing, and definitely the Chinese Communist Party will not be taken down by a single weekend of protests. Um, you know, the, the, the sad thing, especially about how communist systems work, is they specifically work towards dividing people, making people fearful and mistrustful of each other. And that makes it very hard for people to organize and actually create a resistance movement. But again, people who, who, who kind of work in this space about like, how do you topple authoritarian regimes point to the idea that you need to topple the pillars of a society, things that hold it up. So the Chinese Communist Party still controls the military, the police, uh, the media, educational institutions. But I think the more people are fed up with zero COVID, this kind of resentment is going to spread to places and corners of Chinese society. The Chinese Communist Party is not really prepared to lose. Mm. That All right. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it does. It is such a such a wide scope here uh, when it comes to their control of the country. It, it, to take down that control is, is a difficult task. Is there anything that we should be doing that America should be doing as far as trying to influence this? I mean, look, this we're not in, a, in an open hot war against China, but. They like to use the, the Obama administration. You always used to like to use the word competition. Uh, but it's, it's more than that. They're adversaries. We, you know, we are in a situation now where this government, I think, is, is done a lot, of, a lot here over the past couple of years that has affected not only their own people, but people all across the globe. The, the zero COVID situation right now is threatening to, to really hurt the economy of not only America, but everywhere else. What should America and the West be doing to try to influence this, to help the protesters? What should we be doing? Well, first of all, we shouldn't allow tech companies like Apple to aid in, uh, you know, Chinese authorities cracking down on protesters. Apple, you know, announced that they would be limiting the use of airdrops so people wouldn't be able to share information. Uh, we on China Uncensored have been really struggling with YouTube censorship. They, they will demonetize and age restrict any video covering protests in China. Uh, we were there in Hong Kong in 2019. YouTube demonetized a bunch of those videos, age restricted it. And that means people, YouTube's algorithm won't share the episodes with people. So people aren't going to see these stories because for some reason, a lot of American big tech, Wall Street, they're just so invested in China that they would rather side with an authoritarian regime than stand up for the people of China itself. Hmm. I mean, have you, you guys have a huge channel. Uh, have you talked to YouTube about this? I mean, like, what is their answer when you say, hey, we're covering news in China about a humanitarian protest? This should not be one of these situations that we're being censored. Do they have any answers to this? Yes, they say, you know, we violated vague community guidelines and, you know, they want to keep YouTube a safe place for everyone there. But, yeah, they're very... They're very nonspecific about what specifically is is violating community guidelines. We've done an, an episode about the UK-China policy that got age-restricted. We think it's because we showed one photo of uh, Uyghurs being blindfolded. 
in China. Uyghurs are the, the persecuted ethnic minority in Xinjiang. Uh, an, an episode about the Biden administration pushing microchip restrictions, age restricted. That doesn't seem like it's, you know, really risque content. <laughs> Not exactly the most salacious material on YouTube. This is really a fascinating story. And you guys, I know, cover it really in depth all the time. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Chris Chappell, be sure to check out China Uncensored. They're on YouTube uh, and, and check out the podcast as well and the provider of your choice. Chris, uh, thanks so much for doing the show. We really appreciate you keeping us up to date on this. It's a pleasure. Thanks for getting the word out there. Well, let me tell you about Mercury Real Estate and realestateagentsitrust.com. They, uh, it's a great company. And this is, I'm not just saying that because I work with the guy who started it, uh, our own Glenn Beck. He started this years and years ago because he went through an experience with a, with a real estate agent that did not work out. In fact, I used to hear about it all the time. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Glenn, when Glenn's complaining about something, you hear about it all the time. When the, when the mics go off, I'm the one taken in all the complaints, okay? That's what's going on. Um, he was frustrated because he couldn't sell his house. He couldn't get the attention that he wanted on it. He could, it, it seemed like it was like, put up some flyers and throw, put up some balloons and do an open house. And that was really the only step anyone had. Well, he decided to go through and create a company where people screen the real estate agents for the best possible results. And they came up with realestateagentsitrust.com. It's available to you now, it's free to you, and you can get uh, the best agent in your area, whether you're buying or selling a home. You need to have a great transaction in what might be your biggest financial transaction. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. If you think the normal ramblings on this show are incoherent, then you have not seen a power hour yet. Yes, we have a new one coming up on December 9th. It's the Studios America 2022 Christmas Party Power Hour. December 9th, right here in the studios. You can be part of it, by the way. Now, what happens in one of these events is we do a shot of beer every minute for an hour. It starts off somewhat coherent and then is a total mess by the end of it. Uh, we have a great panel of guests that will be here for the idiocy, and you can be part of the panel in the crowd. Yes, it is a really fun time to come hang out at the studio. Give yourself a little Christmas present uh, and come hang out with us on a Friday. Uh, it's December 9th. If you go to stewdoespowerhour.com, stewdoespowerhour.com, you can join the fun. Tickets are free. You just have to get all registered and everything else at stewdoespowerhour.com. Come join us in the studio, and we'll see you Friday, December 9th. Even after the overturn of Roe versus Wade, abortion is still a huge problem in America. But there is a solution, and what a big part of that solution is preborn. Preborn introduces mothers considering abortion to their unborn babies through ultrasound. Once they hear the heartbeat, about 80% of them will choose life. Preborn, though, does not stop there. They love and support these mothers with maternity clothes, diapers, counseling, so much more for up to two years. Preborn is completely dependent on you, the pro-life community, and they, find, they are the ones that are out there fighting the giants every single day. For just 28 bucks, you can rescue a baby's life. For $140, you can get five ultrasounds. And now, through a match, your gift will be doubled. So 100% of your donation is going to save babies. What better way to spend your money? Our goal is to save 50,000 Blaze babies just this year. 
We're on well on our way, but we still need help. Will you join us? Uh, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Pound 250. The keyword is baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash stew. It's preborn.com slash stew. Should we basically shut down the economy because some people need three extra days off? Yes, absolutely, because that's what the unions want me to say. Uh, the union strike is a real possibility here. Biden is calling on Congress to head off a potential rail strike. Now, if that sounds weird to you, it might be because everyone told you already before the election that Biden had already solved this problem, that we weren't going to have this rail strike. Because Joe, Joe Biden has single-handedly, with his brilliance, negotiated a solution that made everybody happy. Of course, none of that was true. Uh, they negotiated a framework which fell through when they had to vote on it. So now they're trying to put this back together and have Congress force them to do so. It will be an interesting thing. I mean, look, you know, obviously, if you should have good, a good working environment and you should have a, a good deal, that's something that usually goes on between employers and employees. Uh, the unions complicate a lot of this stuff and are usually uh, major, major problems. Uh, but look, at least Joe Biden's involved. Then we know it's going to work out OK. Right. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. Yes, before you go, you need to know that everything, every single thing is racist. And the latest thing that is racist, of course, is the term monkeypox. Just so you know, so you don't be accused of racism at work, it's now called MPOX. Don't get MPOX. What does the M stand for? I can't tell you because it's racist, but MPOX. What a freaking country we live in. See you tomorrow.